3: everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yesterday, it was
2: the Trump shutdown. Today, it's the Schumer sellout. Whatever happened to the Democrats? Where was the Democrats' backbone when we needed it? Yep, they caved in. It was the shutdown that never shut down. What do you say? Hello, everybody. Great to see you on a Tuesday, Tuesday, January 23. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show. And off we go with our roundup of the news of the day. Most of it right here in Washington, D.C., where, man, when they get want to get something done, they can do it. Uh, yeah, when they want to do bad, they can do it. Republicans in the Senate. In the House and at the White House, approved one, two, three. The end of the uh, so-called shutdown yesterday. It never really got to shutting down because the Democrats caved before the shutdown really kicked in. And what did they get for it? We'll be talking about that. They got a great big fat nothing burger. Uh, Meanwhile, in other news, uh, in in court in Pennsylvania. Now we know what happened in in North Carolina. And now in Pennsylvania, a court throws out their uh, district lines, saying it is one of the worst cases of gerrymandering ever seen in this country. Uh, and um, we find also, uh, in light of that, across the nation, more women than ever before. A record number, when you hear the numbers, running for office. And that is good news. We got good. We got good news, bad news, all of it coming up here on the Bill Press Show, and you get your chance to weigh in on Twitter at BP Show. Love to hear from you. Send us your comments on Twitter anytime during the show on any topic we are talking about, especially the Democrats caving in. But first.
3: This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, we know that Jeff Sessions is cracking down on marijuana around the country. That is his intent. But that didn't stop the great state of Vermont yesterday from signing into law. Yep. Legalized marijuana. How about that? they become the ninth state to legalize marijuana. And this is the first, the first time that they've done it. Ended cannabis prohibition through an act of lawmakers as it, was, it wasn't put up to a vote. Now listen yep. to this: this quote. I personally believe that what adults do behind closed doors and on private property is their choice, so long as it does not negatively impact the health and safety of, the, of others, especially children. In quote, that is a quote from Governor Phil Scott, a Republican from Vermont. So, big deal. Yeah, big big deal. It's legal. It goes into effect in July. Now they're not going to have commercial marijuana sales. But uh, people over the uh, over the age of 21 years of age will be allowed to legally possess up to one ounce of marijuana and grow as many as two mature and four immature cannabis plants at a time. So we keep moving forward. When you fly, Bill, do you fly with your service animal? Uh, Yeah, I take my um, cockroach.
2: Your, Actually, your cockroach yeah. service mm-hmm.
3: animal. Well, effective March first Delta Airlines is going to require pa- require passengers seeking to fly with pets to present additional documents outlining the passengers' need for animal for the animal and proof of its training and vaccinations. In other words, you have all these people who are getting on board with their support animals, and Delta saying, well, okay, you can't just get on with an animal, any animal, and say, this is my support animal. Listen to these numbers, by the way. There has been a 150% increase in service and support animals since 2015, and an 84% spike in the number of reported animal incidents since 2016. Now, animal incidents include... Urination, defecation, biting, and of course, there have been a couple of maulings yeah, on these right, planes. People right. bring their dogs or well, But, but, whatever but, but and, the
2: thing is also, the animals that they're bringing in, remember, pardon me, we talked about
3: that. One woman with a turkey that was people have and been then a, a pig. People have attempted to fly with a comfort turkey, gliding possum, snake, spiders, <laughs> and other unusual pets.
2: I got to tell you, I don't care how much comfort they're getting from it. If somebody gets in alongside me with a snake, I'm moving. I'm done. I'm I'm out of that seat, right? I don't need to fly anymore. (laughs) Uh, Well, not on that airline, not in that seat, that's for sure.
3: This is the Bill Press Show.
2: Democrats cave in, the shutdown is over, the Dreamers are screwed again, and so are the American people. There you go, folks. That's how we start off this day, sadly, Tuesday, January 23rd. We were feeling good about it yesterday with the Democrats showing some backbone, standing up to Mitch McConnell, standing up to Donald Trump, standing up to Paul Ryan standing up to the uh, Republicans who don't want to do anything about immigration, legal or illegal, and don't give a damn about the Dreamers, and suddenly they just caved in. uh, You know, Chuck Schumer said negotiating with Donald Trump was like negotiating with Jell-O. Well, it was the bowl of Jell-O that caved in yesterday with the Democrats. Here we go on the Bill Press Show this Tuesday, January 23rd. Hello, hello. Welcome to the program. You're probably as pissed off as I am, disappointed as I am, uh, with what happened in the Senate yesterday. We'll tell you all about it here online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And of course, you're not going to forget to sign up and register when you go to YouTube. We're joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV nationwide and on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, as well as Indiana talks throughout the entire state of Indiana. Thanks for joining us. And remember, you're very much part of the conversation. We'd love to get your comments on Twitter, uh, at BP Show. Yes, indeed. The Senate voted 81 to 18. Remember, John McCain is still recovering. Uh, from his uh, brain tumor in uh, Arizona. So 99 senators present. The vote was 81 to 18 for the compromise, so called, to end the deal. It went over then to the House of Representatives, where the vote was announced yesterday. It was more or less a clear party line vote.
4: On this vote, the yeas are 266 and the nays are 150. The motion is adopted without objection. A motion to reconsider is laid on the table.
2: So it was, again, maybe uh, maybe 30, 40 Democrats did vote for it. Most Democrats, by far, most Democrats voted against it. It got down to the White House, where the president signed it last night, uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, late. So uh, the shutdown is officially over. And, yes, if we were calling it the Trump shutdown... I think we can really call it the Schumer sellout. And by the way, uh, this idea that, oh, public opinion was so much. The Democrats were really hurting. They were losing the public opinion. They were losing the base. Our good friend Steve Shepard from Politico was out with a poll this morning that they took yesterday uh, saying, no way, no how, by the way, uh, Americans blamed Republicans Forty-nine percent said Donald Trump and the Republicans were responsible for the shutdown. Thirty-four percent, thirty-five percent said it was the fault of the Democrats. So the Democrats were actually winning the public relations battle, if you will, or the public approval battle. Um, They still caved in. Uh, And and what they they agreed to was, okay, so we'll shut down, we'll keep the government running, not for four weeks until February 16, but to February 8th. I defy any Democratic a senator. a
3: week and a half.
2: Yeah. I defy any Democratic senator to come in here and tell us why that makes a damn bit of difference. Why that is worth selling out for, number one. Number two, here's what they got. They got a promise from Mitch McConnell that he will hold a vote on immigration... In the Senate, sometime, either before February 8th or after February 8, It wasn't really clear. But even if it's before February 8th, B-F-D.
3: By the way, do you think that they're actually going to do this before February 8th? No. L- literally. No. Literally. No. February 8th is no. in like two weeks. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Are they exactly.
3: really going to do no.
2: this? No. Remember, the State of the Union is next week.
3: They're not going to do it. They
2: shut it. down for three days for they're the State of the Union. They're not going to do no. it. No. So. What is a promise from Mitch McConnell worth? You know what? It ain't worth 2 cents. You can't believe that lying bastard. Come on. What are the Democrats thinking? But by the way, he the promise is to hold a vote. The promise is not to support the dreamers the, hold a vote on immigration. By the, that that means that means a whole lot of crap. Right. A whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of issues, not just the dreamers. So it's not a clean bill on the dreamers. It's not saying Mitch McConnell doesn't say we'll pass a bill, we'll support a bill, we'll support the dreamers, we'll work with you on a bill. No, 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 no. None of that. All he says is he will schedule a vote. Well, you know what? Scheduling a vote in the Senate. It's something the Senate ought to do automatically. It's not something you should have to negotiate for. That's what their job is, you introduce bills, they hold votes. Now it's become you got to bargain with him to get permission to even have a debate and hold a vote. And Democrats took that as a deal? I mean, talk about the art of the deal. I don't know who the deal maker is, but it certainly is not Chuck Schumer we got nothing for this. Absolutely nothing. I mean, didn't Demo- don't Democrats remember Lucy and the football? This is a classic example of Lucy and the football. How many times has Mitch McConnell promised, and, and we know this is guy doesn't keep his promise, promises. By the way, ask Republican Susan Collins. She voted for his stupid tax bill in December because he promised to hold a vote on her health care bill. Right after the other vote, did he? No, no, totally back, totally stabbed her in the back. And we've seen Mitch McConnell do this again and again. Why did Democrats go along with this? I don't get it again because I think they don't have any backbone. And I'm by sorry, by the way, and by I'm the way sorry.
3: The, like this whole thing that they agreed to recently is built on a history of the ground that they've already ceded on this issue. They've already given the Republicans so 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 much, yeah, right? Right. Instead of coming from a real uh, position of power, where they could go to their base and say, "Look, we believe that this has got to be done, and damn it, nothing else is going to get done until we get this finished." Yeah, but, they have already given up so much, and no. now they just gave away everything.
2: They were. The, they had the high ground. They had the public support. Uh, they were. They were. They were. This. They have the most leverage now they will ever have on this issue, and they walked away from it. They gave it away, and they gave the Republicans and Donald Trump a big victory. And, of course, you know, Mitch McConnell, right away, Mitch McConnell, he blames it all on the Democrats and on uh, Chuck Schumer. After three days of an unnecessary lapse In funding, Mm -hmm. a bipartisan majority has brought the Democratic leader's extraordinary filibuster to an end (laughs) and passed a bipartisan bill to reopen the federal government. Uh, uh, Yeah, extraordinary filibuster. And McConnell says, boy, I hope we learned our lessons. The weeks ahead will require the best from all of us. I hope we can remember some lessons from this regrettable incident. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, the <laughs> lesson I learned is you don't trust Mitch McConnell. Never. They should have learned that lesson before. And By the way, back to what he what he said in his statement about this promise. He, he here's the promise said this: "It is my intention to hold a vote on immigration." He doesn't. It's not really a promise to hold a vote. It's it's my intention.
3: I promise that I will think about holding, holding this a vote. vote. Yes,
2: right. <laughs> As the good sisters used to tell me, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? Remember that? Uh, And even even Jeff Flake says, well, Mitch McConnell's promise, oh, yeah, you can take it to the bank. Mm -hmm.
4: I think this is a pretty high-profile promise right now. If he makes it on the floor to move ahead and proceed to a bill, I think uh, Democrats can hold him to that, and so can we. Like that
3: matters. Oh yeah. Like that matters at all.
2: Mm -mm. Right. Of course. And and in the middle of it all, so I went to the <laughs> I went to the briefing yesterday, and uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, you know, she first of all she comes out and says that uh, we're really pleased that Schumer. Remember, Donald Trump didn't do anything the entire weekend. They had this one phony photo op where he was sitting at his desk, wearing a MAGA hat, and pretending to be talking on the phone, when. We asked yesterday at the briefing, and she could name nobody that he actually talked to on the phone. Uh, Maybe he was talking to his caddy down at Mar-a-Lago saying, uh, (laughs) how are the Greens today? Sorry I'm not there, right? (laughs) But at any rate, so she says, we're glad that Schumer finally took what Trump wanted from the very beginning.
5: We were pleased to see Senator Schumer accept the deal that President Trump put on the table from the very beginning, which was to responsibly fund the government and debate immigration as a separate issue.
2: And then earlier in the day,
3: uh, but wait, but the deal that he deal. put out from oh, the yeah. very beginning, don't, even the Republicans, like Democrats weren't the one making a lot of stank about the fact that Donald Trump hadn't no. made a deal. It was Republicans that had to come out and say, hey, what we do you want us to do? We, we don't know. They were what saying, you we
2: don't know. Mitch McConnell himself said, we yeah, have no idea it what It was Trump Republicans wants, right? that said, we
3: don't know where you stand." Yeah.
2: And, and then earlier in the day, she had the audacity to suggest that maybe, this was on Good Morning America with George Stephanopoulos, uh, that maybe Chuck Schumer didn't just understand the legislation.
5: I know that sometimes uh, <laughs> members like Senator Schumer need a little help and guidance getting through uh, uh, big big policy uh, negotiations God. like that, but the president's <laughs> laid out what he wants, and if they need help understanding it, uh, we'd be happy to send some people over there to explain it to
4: them. you really want to be uh. questioning Senator Schumer's knowledge of this legislation?
5: Look, if he's unclear about what the president uh, has laid out, then then possibly. I think, frankly uh, and sadly, that Senator Schumer is playing games.
2: You know, she would say that after that 55-minute meeting in the cabinet room a couple of weeks ago on immigration, where Donald Trump showed that he didn't have the faintest idea what this immigration battle was all about. He kept flipping, remember, from, from position to position, right in front of the cameras and right in front of all the legislators. Talk about somebody who doesn't understand the issues <laughs> and has never read a piece of legislation, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, by the way, while I totally disagree with what he did in, in in terms of accepting this compromise and caving in and shame on Chuck Schumer one thing you got to say about Chuck Schumer he's a serious legislator i mean whether it's when he was the leader on gun safety issues or uh or wall street issues or whatever i mean chuck schumer is a policy nerd right <laughs> he could probably chuck schumer could probably recite the dreamers bill by heart you know i mean that's how much he gets into this it's just the whole thing is just sick it makes me sick because we're, we we got nothing out of this, nothing out of the shutdown. And the shutdown had barely, barely kicked in. Uh, I think if Democrats had held tight, they could have forced Republicans to uh, confront the Dreamers to allow a vote. And I think it would have passed. And by the way, maybe it would have forced Donald Trump to take a position. Because as of yesterday, again, at the briefing, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked, and I was going to ask the same question, but others did before me, several does Donald Trump support the DREAMers program, yes or no? She would never give a straight answer. All she said was, you know we want comprehensive immigration reform. Will you support the DREAMers, yes or no? Will he sign a DREAMers bill, yes or no? And it was always some dancing around it. Never answer the question. So to this day, after going through this phony shutdown and this total collapse by the Democrats in co- in the Senate, we still do not know where Donald stands on immigration. Uh, Donald he, Trump stands on immigration.
3: And he doesn't know where he stands he on He doesn't it. stand. No, we
2: don't know because, you know why we don't know? Because he doesn't. Exactly. Right. It,
3: it all comes down, this is, I, I think, we've talked about this before, and I think this has, has really shown itself to be true during this, is he believes the last thing that he heard. In other words, mm-hmm. whoever the last person is who talked to him, that's what he believes, right? right. So yeah. when Diane Feinstein said, you know, we want to clean DACA bill, he goes, yes, I like that. And then Kevin McCarthy says, oh, uh, Mr. President, that. actually, that's not – he goes, okay, yes, you're right, Kevin McCarthy. When Judge Andrew Napolitano says the FISA ruling is bad, he's against it. When all the Republicans say, what the hell are you thinking? We're pushing for this. He has to go, oh, yeah, right. I, I like that now. So it's just a matter of who he hears from last and, and – You've got Stephen Miller, you've got John Kelly, all these guys who are sort of up in the air right now, and depending on how they play this, that's where he's going to end up. Well,
2: sadly, the last person he usually hears from when it comes to immigration is Stephen Miller. Right, exactly. And John Kelly, President uh, President John Kelly, uh, as we call him. One final point on this before we move on is, um, you know, the argument is, well, Democrats had to do this because you got these 10 Democrats from red states that Trump carried, who are up for re-election, Claire McCaskill, Joe Donnelly, Joe Manchin, um, you you can go through the list of the others. You know what? Heidi Heitkamp, that's total BS. I mean, look, you cannot, I'm sorry, you cannot tell me that the the voters' decision in November as to whether to re-elect a Joe Manchin or Claire McCaskill, who are outstanding senators, by the way, from either West Virginia or Missouri or any of the other states, is going to hinge on... This Dreamers program or this shutdown vote. This is this is January twenty third. The general election is November the fifth or seventh or whatever or whatever it is. You know, by that time there are going to be other issues. And you know, again, I mention them all the time, Senator Tom Harkin proved it in the state of Iowa, and he was there for decades. You know what people respect and honor? Somebody who's stands for something and somebody who doesn't waver and somebody who stands strong and is proud to be who he or she is, Uh, not somebody who ducks for cover every time there's a tough vote, which is what I think these red state Democrats uh, showed this time and uh, Chuck Schumer showed by going along with them. A couple of other things. While we're on the uh, issue of uh, chances in November— I think Democratic chances are immeasurably increased this year because of all the women running for office. We talked a little bit about this yesterday with a former state senator from Ohio, Capri Cafaro. Uh It all started with the first Women's March, January 21, 2017, uh, carried forward through all the special elections in 2017 for state legislature, for Congress, across the board— Uh, More and more women coming forward. We've mentioned about Emily's List, which had 900 women the year before when Hillary was a candidate. They thought that was huge. More women signing up for Emily's List to run for office and get their training than ever before. And this this past year, it jumped from 900 to over 20,000 women who wanted to run for office and came to Emily's List and said, you know, help me out. How do I get started for city council, for state legislature, for school board, for Congress or whatever? Uh, and then uh, that was exemplified by the big marches this last weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. yeah, by the way, millions of people came out to stand up to Donald Trump. Why wouldn't Democratic senators in the states in the. US Senate stand up to Donald Trump? Mm, just asking. But the numbers on the women, there are 390 women running for House of Representatives for the Congress this year, 390 across the country. Uh, 22 of them are African-American women. These are, uh, uh, I believe most of these, these are Democrats, by the way, 390 Democrats. I would imagine. So, Democrats yeah. running for women, for House. For the House, 22 of them are African-American women, There are only 18 African-American women in the House today. Um, And there are 49 women running for U.S. Senate. Record numbers uh, across the board. It's really, really uh, amazing. Uh, That speaks well. And also, a big decision yesterday in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, where the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court said that the House districts Congressional districts drawn by the state legislature in Pennsylvania. This is very, very much an echo of what happened in North Carolina. Extremely important. Pennsylvania Supreme Court saying that the House districts drawn by the state legislature clearly, plainly, and palpably violate the state's constitution. Uh, they are the, they say they're among the most partisan gerrymandered districts in the entire country. Uh, the court threw them out and told the legislature they got to go back and redraw the lines. Same thing that happened uh, in, in North Carolina. And remember, there's a big case pending. Arguments have already been heard uh, in the Supreme Court uh, on reapportionment in Wisconsin. So after, in many of these red states, state after state after state, where they've drawn the district lines to ensure that only Republicans could get elected from those districts, the courts are throwing them out. This, you
3: know is a, what it, this is a good example of, you know, Democrats didn't necessarily do a very good job with this shutdown, but Democrats had had to deal with this, the gerrymandering lines. They had to take it to court. They had to get it figured out. We knew this hell, several years ago. Oh, yeah. And no one really did anything about it until, oh, God, we don't have the White House, the Congress, or the Senate. And so now they're (sighs) getting some stuff done and actually getting results, which is invaluable.
2: And this is um, also underscores the importance, which we've talked to uh, Chairman Tom Perez about, of having a Democratic candidate in every single district in the country. As he says, every zip code counts. Uh, and why Democrats have been very successful so far—24, 24, 24 state legislative seats that Democrats have flipped this year, this past year, from Republican to uh, to Democrat. These are seats that Republicans held. These are seats that Donald Trump won. These are state legislative seats, and that's so important because those are dem- new Democratic legislators who will be there when the new lines are drawn uh, after the 2020 uh, the 2020 census. Uh, that, is, uh, that is coming up next. Oh, bye. you know, if we could only get George W. Bush back. <laughs> you never thought you'd hear me say that, did you? No. Well, I was struck this morning by a new poll that's out. Okay, we saw Donald Trump, his approval rating, take your pick 39 in uh, percent and NBC 40% in the latest CNN poll uh today 39 40% Barack Obama's approval rating today 66% of Americans say we like Barack Obama George Bush who left at about 40% his approval rating today, George W. Bush, is sixty-one percent.
3: What is wrong with you people? What is wrong 61. with you people? No, you know what's wrong It's compared to Donald Trump, sure. In a New
2: York second,
3: <laughs> sure. I mean, I, I mean, get that, that, but like, let us not is. forget George just, W. Bush was bad.
2: Yes, absolutely. He was bad. Yes, Iraq War, there we go, still goes on, but it just shows how how <laughs> people are really just. They want, somebody, they want somebody with a little dignity, somebody with uh, maybe who has at least the impression that, you know, he knows what he's talking about <laughs> or that he takes things seriously. Right. Maybe.
3: Which, by the way, I never thought those things of Bush. I still don't think those things of Bush. But you're right. Comparatively. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I, Comparatively, I can think of a lot of people Who are better at that
2: I'm I, 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 very careful here I would still trust George W. Bush With a nuclear button More than I would trust Donald Trump I think he would at least think Take his time And get the advice of some people around him Before he would say Yeah, we got to do this Not Donald Trump I
3: think that's fair He
2: would say, I know more than anybody else I don't have to talk to anybody else My gut tells me all I need to know After all I'm a genius, um, very stable genius. A very stable genius at that. And I went to the best schools, and I was the best student that they've ever seen at any of these schools. And so, therefore, um, what are you talking about? Yeah, how about that? Uh, also, I uh, just wanted to mention uh, we've got a. Um, uh, I know climate change doesn't exist. It's a hoax invented by the Chinese. Blah 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 blah. Uh, but we got a little uh, little warning again uh, over the weekend about uh, rising temperatures. 2017, it turns out, is the third warmest year on record since I've been keeping records. 2017, the third warmest. Uh, and the average temperature in 2017 was 54.6 degrees. That is 2.6 degrees higher than the average temperature during the 20th century. I see you
3: normally see so they these say, things just like very small up to oh, oh yeah, no, I mean a lot is, in yeah. these cuz it's the average.
2: Yeah, right. Usually it just ticks up a little bit. This is 2.6 degrees
3: higher That's a lot.
2: than the 20th century, which wasn't that long ago, right? And there were five states Arizona, North Carolina, Georgia Can't read my writing about the third one here. North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, one other state. Yeah, but it was cold outside a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Yeah, so right. global
3: warming is officially over. But right? the,
2: in those five states, they they experienced the highest temperatures ever. Right? Arizona, one. Of, I mean, it's always pretty hot. In Arizona. hot in Arizona, Jesus, yeah, absolutely. So another warning in case anybody is listening: global global climate change is real and it is here. Meanwhile. We got a great lineup for you today. We start off with Daniel Lippman uh, politi- poli- from Politico, co author of the Politico Playbook, we tell you uh, all about and we depend on every day for uh, our take on the news. Uh, and then Jackie Simon from uh, the uh, American Federation of Government Employees come in, coming in to talk about the impact of any shutdown on federal employees. And from the great Young Turks, we're all part of the Young Turks Network, of course, And a Kasparian uh, in town from Los Angeles, and uh, she'll join us in studio as well. We'll kick off with Daniel Lipman. Quick break. We'll be right back uh, with all the news of the day this Tuesday, January 23rd, The Bill
3: Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The
2: Bill Press Show. Tuesday, January 23rd, uh, it is the Bill Press Show. Welcome back, everybody. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C. That's where we start out. We end up wherever you are in this great land of ours, uh, whether you're listening or watching or following us online. Uh, Good to be with you today. Great to see you. Don't forget, uh, we want to hear from you about the news of the day, your comments on the news of the day, on Twitter, at BP Show. And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Five Unions, all put together, sheet metal, air, rail, and transportation workers, forming the SMART Union, they call it, and the good men and women of the SMART Union under President Joseph Sellers, giving a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. You can find out more about their good work at their website, smart-union.org. Joining us in studio, he wakes us up, uh, uh, one of the people, the three people who wake us up uh, every day with the uh, Politico's playbook, uh, co-author Daniel Lippman. Hey, Daniel, good to see you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. I'm glad the shutdown's over so you can go back to work. (laughs) The
4: the Uber uh, drivers, they don't take the day off, no matter what the government is in.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They don't. Neither do talk radio hosts, by the way, indeed. Uh, we've been at it for a little while here already, and uh, the Twitter, Twitter lines are humming. Peter?
3: Yes, indeed. We're on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. One point that a lot of people are bringing up that we haven't gotten into much is CHIP, the health insurance program for yes, children. Yes. Nine million kids don't think it's a sellout. That is from what is happening on Twitter. Uh, also, a By time- the way, that it, that's a good sure. part of the deal. Uh, extended for six years. Yep. A
2: program which Republicans opposed uh, <laughs> refunding. They're the other ones that dropped until uh, Friday, and then they, they suddenly discovered they liked it, I guess.
3: Uh, a couple more comments. Jack Pfeiffer says, I don't think Schumer sold out. He got Trump and Stephen Miller out of the equation. He can claim settling chip for six years, and he doesn't trust the turtle, Mitch mm. McConnell, on DACA. So, uh, Insurance for February shutdown down and spin McConnell as a liar and enemy of the people. And Phil says, Trump will overplay the hell out of this. That is oh. an evergreen comment on just about any issue. <laughs> frankly uh so send us your comments on twitter at bp show also we have a poll up right now uh, live this morning will the government shutdown deal hurt the democrats in the 2018 midterms just giving you two choices yes or no right now 29 percent say yes 71 percent say no make your voice heard vote heard your voice heard at bp show on twitter
2: you got it Thank you. What does it? Seventy-one percent say it will not hurt them.
3: Seventy-one percent say that it will not hurt them as of now. Yes.
2: Okay. Uh, so, Daniel, we've been. Um, so, how do you think this thing plays? Uh, did Democrats cave in?
4: I think uh, Huffington Post's Matt Fuller, who's been on the show before, you know, he, you know, he made the point in an article that uh, it's not even if it is a cave-in, uh, it will help the progressive cause long-term. Because it looked like the Democratic position uh, on the shutdown was tapering off, whereby most Americans, uh, you know, they don't support shutting down the government for any purpose on immigration. And so they think citizens should be kind of the priority number one. That's just the political reality. And so if Democrats uh, want to do well in November, they are wise to limit the damage. They made their point. Everyone now knows in their base that uh, Democrats in Washington will stand up to DREAMers because it's a moral high ground issue. But, uh, you know, they kind of bowed into political reality and and they will get a vote on uh, DACA, at least in the Senate.
2: Will they get a vote on DACA or will they get a vote on some big immigration bill of which DACA is one part and the rest of it they don't like? It was not clear, correct?
4: Yeah. So it's uh, Mitch McConnell promised a bipartisan Uh, immigration bill if it's hard enough to get daca uh, i don't see a huge comprehensive immigration reform bill getting passed in the senate especially because it has no place to go in the house unless trump wants to expend spend a lot of political capital and he really has not shown a willingness to do that especially in election year which would uh, make it very hard for conservative house republicans to go along with it, because they face challengers sometimes uh, in their primaries that always say, "Hey, you know, if you once you go to Washington, you basically you become yeah. soft."
2: Right, right. But isn't it interesting that I mean, as of today, and I was at the briefing at the White House yesterday, going gone through this whole shutdown debate. Uh, he, as of today, we still do not know where Donald Trump stands on the Dreamers
4: program. Yeah, he has never made that. Uh, or un- because he's any- changed his opinion he said yeah. we should have a lot of heart that 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 is going further than some democrats uh <laughs> in their in their rhetoric uh but then he is you know just as uh, peter made that point uh, earlier in the show that uh, whoever is the last person in his era, i think it's more troubling is he doesn't uh seem to pay attention to all of the details and the consequences you know if he, if he had a bunch of friends who were uh, you know, who had kids who were DACA recipients, he would maybe have a little more backbone on this issue,
2: right? But uh, so, um, it, it, you know, he says we wants a wall, right? He wants to end he what he calls chain migration. He wants to end the visa lottery part of it, and he wants to do something for Dreamers, right? But yesterday, when pressed, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, "Will he sign a bill that continues the Dreamers program or makes it official? Gives it congressional approval?" She wouldn't answer. Couldn't. Could not answer. I think is is the real answer.
4: But I, I wonder how close she is to President Trump. Does she talk to him every uh, few minutes? That's like- a
2: good question on immigration. I I think uh, there are at least two other people that you and I both know who have his ear more on immigration than Sarah Huckabee Sanders, namely Stephen Miller and John Kelly.
4: Yeah, so you'd have to get them in front of the uh, briefing. But even <laughs> uh, you know, even things that uh, Kelly and uh, miller say on immigration you can't fully trust because uh trump uh knows better than just to listen to them 100 percent of the time on issues like immigration uh if it was if uh stephen miller was the most powerful man in the white house then we would be out of nafta we would not be doing any trade deals we would basically kick all 13 million illegal immigrants out of the country and trump hasn't done that so far so mm-hmm. it, clearly he isn't uh you know He is powerful, but uh, Miller is not basically telling Trump uh, every waking minute, you have to do this, do that, do that. Trump is the president.
2: Were you surprised that Trump took such a low profile uh, during the shutdown over the weekend? I mean, this is a guy, as we know, who said in 2013 when President Obama was there, the president has to (laughs) leave. He's got to call everybody in the room and you know it starts the, the the responsibility starts at the very top this weekend he was nowhere MIA. to be found. he was mia
4: and i think his uh the american people probably were a little happy that we weren't hearing uh trump tweets every few minutes on <laughs> the shutdown uh you know he made his uh you know points o- uh, throughout the weekend uh he refused to talk to, to negotiate with democrats until they reopened the government uh, but that's pretty uh, pretty expected. I think um, Obama probably made that same promise that you know he wasn't going to negotiate uh, as the Republicans held him hostage uh, five years ago. I think you know this is a, maybe a lesson for Trump going forward that uh, it's wise for him to listen to his staff to get out of the way sometimes uh, and not make things harder. Because if he had made himself the center of attention, then uh, Democrats would have probably you know, had the shutdown last a week or two. Or he might have made a deal with Chuck and Nancy. That's entirely possible, (laughs) and he probably would have without (laughs) Kelly and Miller uh, in his ear. Right. He he gets along better with Nancy and Chuck than than Mitch Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, that's for sure. Yeah, I think. There's just a better rapport. Like McConnell and Ryan are more straight-laced. Trump is the, you know, uh, all... You know, much more a consummate if, talker. Uh, we've said
2: that before. If you put, I mean, you put the two New Yorkers together, right? Chuck Schumer and Donald Trump would make a deal. Trump, now, Trump donated. And they, apparently, they, they did, did. Make a deal. Apparently, yeah. they did yeah. last Friday, according to Schumer. Even on the wall, he by the time he gets back to Capitol Hill. <laughs> John John Kelly or somebody's pulled the rug out from under
4: him. And Trump has donated to Schumer in the past. Like, how many times did he donate to Ryan McConnell when he was a <laughs> liberal Democrat?
2: Yeah, I wonder about that too. Pull up the FEC records. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we were talking just before the break, and, and you came in about um, uh, Donald Trump's approval rating uh, compared to uh, George W. Bush's. Uh, now, now at sixty-one percent, Donald Trump at forty percent. Uh, and part of that, uh, as you to point out, right? There's a story this morning on people don't really trust President Trump with his finger
4: about. Yeah. So from the Washington Post, they just uh, broke a poll that they did uh, from ABC News as well, and they say that 38 uh, percent of Americans trust Trump to handle the authority to order nuclear attacks on other countries, and 60 percent don't trust him on that. Uh, and uh, among those who distrust Trump, almost nine in ten. Uh, of them are somewhat or very concerned the president might launch an attack. And that's, you know, pretty, ex- uh, that concern is uh, pretty expected because Trump has been threatening Kim Jong un. There are no uh, negotiations really uh, no. Or, between the U.S. and uh, North Korea. And uh, we don't even have an ambassador in South Korea yet. And so clearly uh, we're in this standoff. Uh, you know, we had that.
2: And he has threatened to destroy North Korea, right? He was talking about I've got a bigger button than you do, right? I mean, his 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 bellicose rhetoric is all over the place. And
4: I think it's interesting that uh, there's kind of a detente between South Korea and North Korea right now, mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. uh, noteworthy because could that be the you know start to a, a, a you know breaking the ice between the U.S. and uh, North Korea eventually? Uh, and I think South Korea wants to have. Uh, and I don't think Trump is gonna order a nuclear strike with unless there is a threat he's uh he doesn't wanna you know have millions of South Koreans and Japanese and American soldiers die that would probably ensure an impeachment if he was not for a just cause and but clearly no u s president in recent years have has solved North Korea, so it's not like you know we all expected Trump to make peace with Kim jong un right. he, he probably he said he might have a great relationship if he only met the guy
2: yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it clearly is a monumental failure of American foreign policy under George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Uh, you can't lay it all on that. And Bill ca- Clinton was and part Bill of that, Clinton. too. Uh, but it, thank you. Right. Uh, and all of them said, our goal is to prevent North Korea from ever becoming a nuclear power. Well, guess what? They are today. I mean, a power maybe, but they're part of the nuclear club. They've got the nuclear.
4: And I think they, uh, Kim Jong-un no <laughs> sees it, it as a... Uh, as a way to secure his regime from foreign if they didn't have nuclear weapons, then uh it might be easier for a foreign power to go in there and have regime change, not saying that they would because it's not a it's not a huge you know i don't think Americans want to send their kids to uh North okay. Korea if there's no nuclear weapons at all like that's more of a regional issue
2: yeah so um at this I just want to at the little tangent here before we get back to some of the hard news of the day. this surfaced. Uh, Remember how long, maybe a couple of months ago when Rand Paul was cutting his grass? Yeah. Right? And his Uh, neighbor- Famous uh,
4: cutting the grass. (laughs) (laughs) Don't cut your grass, senators. You might get attacked.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now, we were told, by the way, by a uh, member of the Kentucky delegation that the issue was not grass, uh, cut grass blowing on the neighbor's lawn. It was not leaves blowing. It was actually dog poop. That was the issue. (laughs) Whatever the issue was- We just heard now for finally the 911 call. And guess who made the 911 call? Senator Paul himself. Here it is.
1: 911, where's your emergency?
4: I was assaulted by a neighbor, and I'd like the police to come and
1: investigate and talk to the neighbor. Okay. Where did the assault happen at? In my yard while I was mowing the grass.
4: <laughs> good... Let's not laugh too much, Bill. No, I know, but. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, what I find
2: funny is he doesn't say, this is Senator Paul, right? Of course. He... This, this is Senator Rand Paul. <laughs> I, well, you know, you know, I was beauty...
4: assaulted by my neighbor. And I the beauty to... of American democracy is, you know, the police will come to your house no matter if you're a senator or a a guy yeah. who's in debt. And he's also so, very calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. I think Rand Paul is, you know, you can't imagine him uh, screaming about. That thing. If you know, if it was a yeah. more serious attack, he would have. Like my uh, former colleague Ben Schreckinger wrote a great piece oh. in GQ about uh, this whole incident uh, a few months ago, and about the whole backstory with neighbors uh, and whether Rand Paul was keeping his lawn mowed enough and you know keeping his uh, yeah. house tidy. And so <laughs> it was pretty interesting to see see that uh, see track this story as it developed.
2: Uh, yeah, Ben Schreckinger, one of our uh, one of our favorite people too. So back to the uh, to the current situation that we were uh, told yesterday at the White House that it looks like um, the president who did not go to Mar-a-Lago uh, stayed in Washington, skipped his great big party down there.
4: You probably will reschedule it, maybe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? Next, right.
4: next uh, inauguration anniversary next year, or it, in five years?
2: <laughs> it wasn't quite the same having Eric there, right? Huh?
4: Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, did
2: people still show up? Did people pay a hundred thousand dollars for no? I'm sure. I bet no some show? people
4: maybe like ask for their money back. It wouldn't surprise me. But I think people like a good party. in, in uh, Marla, I was at, uh, I was in Palm Beach, uh, you know, a week and a half ago. And uh, Wilbur Ross and Robert Lighthizer, the uh, trade representative, they were at uh, a party in uh, Palm Beach. And remember they that were, I was at.
2: They were at Tom, Quinn's, Tom birthday. Quinn's birthday party. You were there. I was there. Whoa, First
4: right. First-hand reporting. <laughs> Tom Quinn, for all our uh, listeners, is a longtime lobbyist. He is 80 years old, uh, and he has a series of five birthday parties. A good friend of mine. I was
2: at one of his birthday parties here in Washington. I missed the one in Palm Beach. But uh, Wilbur Ross, who... I was not invited to the one in Palm Beach, <laughs> Tommy. Where <laughs> out the hell?
4: My friend Ryan Williams is a friend of uh, Tom's and invited me. Ryan worked on the Romney campaign. But the more to the point is that Wilbur Ross, uh, if he was going to fewer parties, uh, he might not have had that Axios report uh, a day and a half ago about how uh, Trump is mad at him. He doesn't view him as his killer negotiator on trade anymore, and uh, the fact that he falls asleep in meetings. I was about to say he's, yeah. he's <laughs> yeah.
3: that 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 is not going to go over well with your boss if you just fall asleep at work. And
4: the worst, no, I don't want to like people as people are eating their breakfast. I don't want to like you know make them throw up, but be like. Uh, when he falls asleep, then he drools. He uses his tie to clean up his drool. <laughs> that is a report on Twitter from a you know, a New York Times or a uh, you know, a mainstream journalist. This is not, they did not dispute this part.
3: <laughs> By the way, if you're cleaning up your drool with your tie, that means you've done it more than once. Like, you've got a system in place for when you drool when you fall asleep at work. The best okay.
4: quote from that Jonathan Swan piece about Wilbur was how. The former senior administration official said, Wilbur, he's good up until 11 (laughs) (laughs) a.m.
3: I know. Until 11 a.m. I can relate, actually. (laughs) I'm
2: thinking about the tie. Maybe if you use the... Back of your tie, not the front of your no, tie. No, it's not
3: okay. You should no. use your tie to wipe up the drool no, no matter what. Not, well, uh, <laughs> Don't. Th- th- this is not normal.
2: <laughs> I, I'm just saying, if you have to do it. No,
4: we've all we've all fell asleep in meetings, but usually our meetings sure. are not with president of the United States. Yeah, right.
2: No. Well, uh, the Sarah Huckabee Sanders started her briefing yesterday by saying that the president had full confidence that Wilbur Ross at which I tweeted out. That means he'll be gone in a month. Full
4: confidence <laughs> is like the... Every time. T-
2: oh, yeah. They'll cut your legs off. Oh, no, that. exactly. Under President Obama, anytime Robert Gibbs or Jay Carney or whatever Josh said, they said the president has full confidence in somebody, you knew that was they the said song. that
4: about Michael Flynn, remember? Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Uh, full you confidence. Right, Kellyanne Conway.
2: We are, well, she's still there. Yeah. We are, well, She said that she about said Michael that Right, exactly. All right, so um, this is kind of strange. The man who ran for president as a populist uh, got elected as a populist. Somebody's going to fight for the little guys. He's going to Davos this week. Davos, which is the Billionaires Summit. You have to be a billionaire to get invited, right?
4: Yeah, unless you want to pay, like, thousands of dollars as a CEO. And this is a World Economic Forum an annual event in Davos. Uh, Has
2: any I, president gone ever gone?
4: I don't know. I, I'm sure I before. I so. I'm, we have to like look up the records. Yeah. But uh, they're saying in a full fleet of uh, people right. like Mnuchin and uh, Dina Powell, who w- used to be Probably in the White Probably Wilbur. House. Uh, maybe Wilbur will. We'll, maybe the European time zone will help him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we'll sleep on the way over there. We'll Fresh as Take a it. daisy when he shows up. Fall,
4: so, he can fall asleep on the on the on the chairlift uh, to go skiing. <laughs> but no, it's it's pretty. It's. Uh, I don't think the average Trump voter uh, goes to Davos or knows people who Uh, go. I
2: don't think his base is going to be in Davos, right?
4: And so I think Mike, you know, Mike Allen, our our friend, he reported. uh, He's there. Yeah, he's there. And he reported that uh, French President Emmanuel Macron had called up Trump and said, you know, you should come. This is you'll meet lots of presidents and CEOs. uh, And it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's exciting. It's 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 fun to be in this atmosphere and. You know, uh, if he – some people speculate, oh, he'll go there and withdra- and announce he's going to withdraw from NAFTA. I don't think that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, I don't know how the reception will be because most of those people who are at this forum uh, hate Trump completely. They don't view him as a, a good actor on the stage. Uh, and
2: reportedly he's going to go and give his America First speech. Which is the last? How is that thing the, gonna go the last along. thing these people want to hear, right? Yeah,
4: this is the world economic forum, not the American economic forum. Last I checked, right? And so, um, we'll have to see, you know, what he gets out of that. Is he going to who he meets with? Uh, it's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of power players that uh, you know want to meet Trump. Even if you don't like Trump, you still want to meet with him and gauge if you're a powerful person because you have your own interests. But it clearly, it
2: clearly is a gathering of the one half of one percent.
4: It's you know right? these types of forums like the Aspen Ideas Forum, uh, which costs thousands of dollars to attend. Uh, this is a more elite Aspen forum, even but, than that, right? But you know, uh, maybe Tr- Ivanka and Jared. I think they're going as well. They want to uh, hobnob and and make uh, more friends there, and so it's not entirely unexpected. This is a guy that. His whole tax bill helped the one oh, percent uh, oh, greatly, right? And he, some middle class people, but that was not if the he goes, focus of the.
2: Fact. If he goes and talks about cutting taxes for the wealthy and the big corporations, he'll get a great reception. I'm sure
4: but, he'll talk about how the stock market is hitting highs every. Oh yeah, every day yeah. because all those people who are attending the forum they have made millions, uh, or hundreds of thousands off Trump.
2: So the last time you were in to see us, we were talking about um, Steve Bannon was just about to go uh, in front of um, uh, and be interviewed by um, um, special counsel Robert Mueller. Yeah. Uh, What do we hear came out of that? And who else has followed?
4: So the um, Mueller during uh, the three-day government.
2: I'm sorry, testified before the House Intelligence. Yeah, yeah, he's
4: he's speaking his piece to everyone. Uh, And I -hmm. think if bannon was still in the white house maybe he would have been a little less shy to a little more shy to speak uh, what he knows i don't know if he knows like smoking guns or whatever but remember he told michael wolf in that book that it was treasonous for donald trump jr and jared kushner uh to meet with the russians in trump tower they should have called the fbi or had lawyers uh, with them and so uh you know bannon as much as a lot of Americans and liberals hate him. He, you know, generally says what he believes. He uh, doesn't obfuscate. Maybe he has harsh rhetoric towards the media, but you know he loves the mainstream media. And also he he wants to, uh, you know, he has an axe to grind against Trump because Trump has basically fired him and and forced him out from Breitbart. And
2: says he lost his not. <laughs> pardon me. Not only lost his job, lost his mind. But what about the White House trying to put this gag? rule on bannon and not letting him talk about telling him not to talk about anything during the transition or the white house
4: that's not tenable they can't just um you know they can say that but Mueller has his own legal authority that overrides uh, a bunch of those requests from the white house and so uh you know muller wants to get the truth he's not going to reveal internal meetings about mexico that you know in the white house that might be a part of executive privilege but on things that are relevant to his inquiry then uh, Mueller it seems like has the upper hand here.
2: And Bannon was followed by Corey Lewandowski
4: yeah and uh, Lewandowski you know was the campaign manager he knows a lot uh, and whether he fully cooperates is, is an open question because he is still a friend of Trump and uh, right. he doesn't want to uh, jeopardize that. And Hope Hicks yeah she uh you know, she's hired a lawyer. She's the uh, director of communications. Uh, Twenty-eight years old, very young for that job. But she's, uh, you know, Trump really respects her and uh, you know values her counsel. But I think she also has to protect herself. And she's been on the plane several times when they form statements on Russia mm-hmm. or you know Comey's firing. And so she needs to, uh, you know, not perjure herself. And I think uh, she won't do that because she doesn't want to end up in jail.
2: Right. But uh, the, you couldn't get people who are any closer to Donald Trump.
4: No, than. no, they're going after, they're they're c- talking to everyone.
2: Yeah, okay, closing, closing in for sure. Hey, Daniel, great to see you. Thank you so much for Thanks coming in. Thanks so much, in. Bill. Uh, we'll see you in Davos. Uh, you can <laughs> follow, again, sign up. We always say the sign up for Playbook. Go to politico.com, sign up for Playbook, enjoy Uh, Daniel's work every single day. Twice a day, actually. Yes. Whatico.com
4: slash playbook. This
2: is The Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks.
0: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the bill press show live at
3: youtube.com slash the bill press show yep we went from the trump
2: shutdown to uh what some people are calling the schumer sellout it is over the shutdown is over uh good news for federal employees maybe not such good news for the dreamers hello everybody here we are on a tuesday january 23rd hello 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 great to see you And thank you for joining us here as we boom out to you coast to coast all over this great land of ours uh, online, on the radio and on television. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us as we uh, will take you through the news of the day from our studio here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. I'll tell you what's going on here in Washington, around the country and around the globe uh, and invite your comments. Welcome your comments anytime on Twitter, Twitter. Uh, at BP Show. Yes, the shutdown is over almost as soon as it started into the first full workday, about halfway through the first full workday. Uh, the Senate voted to end it, then the House followed up, uh, and Donald Trump signed that legislation late yesterday afternoon, uh, all on a promise that sometime between now and February 8, when the government runs out of money, again, Uh, there will be a vote on uh, immigration. Um, We will get to that and all the news of the day with our guest this half hour uh, on uh, particularly the question of how any shutdown uh, impacts federal employees and whether you can really keep the government running with just a series of CRs every three weeks or once a month or something. Jackie Simon is the policy director for the great uh AFGE A- the American Federal Government the associate I'm sorry the
1: American Federation A- of A- Government A- Employees Thank
2: you American <laughs> Federation of Government Employees how many times have I said it Jackie it's nice to see you
1: Thanks for having me
2: Thanks for coming in uh we'll get right to it and again your comments welcome all the time on Twitter at BP show but first <laughs> Peter, what is the Fear. full court press?
3: Yes, indeed. Just to come over their stories, making news. Okay, remember a couple of weeks ago when Hawaii had that missile scare? Oh, yeah, they got the missile yes. alert update saying that a missile was on its way to Hawaii. Well, yesterday, the governor of Hawaii, David Ige, said, well, he would have gotten the word out a little bit faster, but he didn't remember his Twitter password. That was the <laughs> way that he put word out that there was no oh, actual oh, yeah. uh, warning. That it was just supposed to be a test. He put it out on Twitter saying there is no missile threat. <laughs> and he was interviewed about this yesterday. And he said, I re- I knew about it earlier. I tried to get it out as quickly as I could. I went to Twitter and I couldn't remember my password. It took almost 40 minutes for an updated alert to be sent yeah, out via right. their phones. And, and, again, they were looking for some word from the governor of Hawaii, to say what the hell was He going should have on. asked his he kids. Yeah, he should have asked his kids. He should have asked his kids, right? Like, that would have absolutely solved the problem. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about net neutrality on the show. We thought that net neutrality was dead, according to the new uh, FCC rules. Well, it might not be so dead. Uh, yesterday, Montana governor Steve Bullock, who is a Democrat, signed an executive order requiring Internet service providers with state contracts to abide by net neutrality principles and rules. So again, this is one of those situations where we're seeing the states trump yeah, absolutely. the federal uh, the federal rules, which I think is fascinating because we had also seen that Democrats thought that they might have enough to repeal net neutrality altogether. But if that doesn't work, then states are doing it on their own
2: for good and for bad. The states are taking the lead in the absence of federal action on many levels and in many issues.
3: Yeah. Uh, One final story. Uh, The Vancouver Aquarium announced that they will no longer keep whales and dolphins in captivity. This is uh, sort of on a trend where you see They'll just invite
2: them in for like a visit. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You just
3: buy a pass and go in and see all the other fish. Uh, They're not going to do any more whale shows, any more dolphin shows. They're not going to keep them in captivity anymore. Sort of getting with the times here in terms of that.
2: uh, Uh, Yeah, you know, the Baltimore Aquarium hasn't had dolphin shows for a couple of years. Yeah, they got rid of them. Right. Um, so, uh, they're finally catching up there, I guess.
4: Download our
3: podcast, search for the bill press show on iTunes, and remember to rate review and subscribe. This is the bill press show.
2: And the shutdown is over almost as earl as soon as it began. What do you say, everybody? Tuesday, January twenty-third. Uh, it is the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome. Great to see you today. And it's good to have you with us as again. We hopscotch through all the news of the day wherever it's happening. We'll tell you what's going on. Uh, and join join you on online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. We're looking at you on TV, on television, on free speech TV, coast to coast, and out in the greater Chicago area. Good to join you on the big progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. The shutdown is the big news of the day. In studio with us from the American Federation of Government Employees, who are longtime and proud sponsors of this program, Um, Jackie Simon is the policy director. Uh, Jackie, good to see you. These were tense times, I guess, for your members, right?
1: Yes, we had no idea how long this would last. And, of course, uh, we don't know uh, if there's going to be another one and another one and another one. Uh, these uh, continuing resolutions, uh, continuing air resolutions, we sometimes <laughs> call them, uh, make for such uncertainty in the agencies and for federal employees that uh, – even though this one is uh, over for the time being, uh, as soon as uh, February 9th or 10th, we could have another one.
2: Well, yeah, let's talk about that in terms of um, running a government, right? Whether or running a railroad or running a small business or a big business, uh, the way this is the, I believe, the fifth CR in a row. That's correct. So as opposed to passing a budget so that people know for the next year or the next two years, or it used to be with the Transportation Committee, I remember, uh, every, the next five years, years—where what funds are going to be available, how people can make their plan and plan accordingly. This gang of Republicans who control the Congress right now have been able to pass no budget, and instead now it's five uh, little extensions, we, pardon me, they call them the CRs or the continuing resolutions, which keep the government going for, in this case, what, two and a half weeks, sometimes it's three weeks, sometimes it's four weeks. How can you run a government that way?
1: Well, although all the uh, headlines say that <laughs> this shutdown and and uh, this dispute uh, within the Congress and between the Congress and the President was about uh immigration. Uh, The only reason it was about immigration in DACA was because there was an effort to to, um, insert that into must-pass legislation. Uh, The real budget debate that's going on has to do with spending caps. Um, These are uh, parts of that horrible bill, the Budget Control Act, that was passed in 2011 that introduced us all to the concept of sequestration. And what's going on right now is that there are some factions that want to uh, do away with the spending caps only for the Department of Defense. And the way the Budget Control Act uh, divided the pain, uh, so to speak, was... uh, Half of half of the pain would be inflicted upon the Department of Defense, and the other half would be inflicted upon the non-defense agencies. And there's now substantial numbers of people in the Congress who want to lift those caps on DOD and either finance the increase in DOD um, out of even bigger cuts to non-defense agencies, or at a minimum, increase defense and keep uh, the spending in non-defense agencies flat. And that's the sort of underlying uh, budget debate that's going on that's apart completely from DACA and, you know, CHIP and all the other kind of things that were held in reserve as bargaining chips.
2: So that the real story you're saying is not, I mean, immigration is, it is it is important. The Dreamers program is very important. But the real issue, the guts of it is an attempt on the part of Republicans to, you um, Increase, bust the caps by increasing Pentagon spending and even further cuts to domestic spending, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid down the line.
1: Exactly. this, those are the budget issues. Right. These other issues were held and used as bargaining chips bargaining to chips. try to get their way on budget issues. Now, you know, getting rid of the spending caps would be a wonderful thing. Getting rid of the Budget Control Act would be a wonderful thing. These spending caps are ruinous. They have had a devastating effect on not only military readiness and DOD. Uh, we proudly represent civilians in the Department of Defense, and, and the budget cuts have been horrible for civilian DOD employees and for... And for the military. You may recall that um, some civilian DOD workers, um, these are just regular working class people who repair weapons and uh, do logistics for the, for the military. They had furloughs up to 22 days, unpaid mm. furloughs. Mm. Um, that's that's mm-hmm. the legacy of this horrible Budget Control Act. Right. So it's a good thing to get rid of these spending caps. But not at the expense of other agencies, not at the expense of EPA and the Social Security Administration and the Department of Labor and HUD and uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs and any other non-defense agency. They shouldn't have to take an even bigger hit in order to finance adequate spending for the Department of Defense.
2: Right. But so can you really run an agency, do the legitimate work of an agency, plan ahead uh, to serve the American people? Um when you only have you only know three weeks at a time, how much money you're going to have?
1: Of course, it's absolutely not. It's it's chaos. That's our you know. Sometimes we play around with uh, you know what what does CR really stand for? And uh, chaos rules. That's what a CR is. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's utterly ridiculous. You can't mm-hmm. make any kind of planning plans. You can't make any commitments that are beyond the scope of a few weeks at a time. Um, and and the uncertainty for federal employees i mean you know that it, we our primary concern of course is is the economic well-being of our members but every one of our members uh, cares deeply about the programs in the agencies that where they work they very epa employees care very much about clean air and clean water uh, people who work in the department of labor care very much about safe workplaces and and wage theft and and all the other kinds of laws that they enforce in the course of their work and they can't do it if they don't know uh you know if they can't hire new people when someone retires because they don't know whether there's going to be enough funding. I mean, there's any number of ways in which uh, these short-term spending uh, deals undermine the operational efficiency of the agency.
2: So um, it seems to me there are two ways of looking at the impact on federal employees uh, f- from any shutdown. And by the way, this is, I mean, so this shutdown... Ended yesterday, right? Yes. But as you point out, we could very likely have another one in two and a half weeks. That's right. February eight. Everything's not going to be hunky dory, rosy. Unlikely that everything everybody agrees on everything, and they pass a two year budget or a one year budget, and we forget all about this. This, this is going to be a continuing <laughs> struggle. So it's really that's why we're so glad you came in today because we wanted to talk about this. So first of all, again. I think there are two ways of looking at this in terms of its impact. One is the impact on, on uh, federal employees, on the work that they are doing, on the work of their department. So can you speak to that, like, um, give some examples of what kind of, during a shutdown, what kind of protection that the American people would normally expect they're not going to be getting. You mentioned EPA, for example.
1: Uh, uh, e- EPA is a great example. Of also, think about the National Institutes of Health. Um, some... Some people who work for the National Institutes of Health were deemed uh, accepted and, and continue to come to work. But if you go out to the campus of the National Institutes of Health, of course, there's a hospital there, and that kept on running. But there are numerous labs throughout that campus um, where there's ongoing research, uh, medical research um, Research into, you know, new, new uh, uh, medications for any number of, of diseases. Uh, actually, the vast majority of, of uh, new prescription drugs uh, come not mm-hmm. from research by that. By the, the pharmaceutical drug right. companies, but from the National Institutes of Health, those experiments, those laboratory activities, had to come to a screeching halt. People have to start all over again in many cases. There'll be tissue samples that you know who, that were unattended because of the shutdown, uh, and the Social Security Administration, um, although some uh, new claims were taken uh the social security field offices closed people couldn't come and get social security cards make inquiries about uh their eligibility for for benefits um yes there was a staff that was ready to make sure that the checks continued to go out but uh there wasn't there was no activity processing new claims Um, Same with the veterans' benefits. Uh, You're a veteran, you've applied for disability benefits or applied to have yourself examined to see if you were eligible for for Mm -hmm. disability benefits or whether or not you'd, you know, what kind of health care from the VA health care system you could access. Um, All that work came to a halt. Um, The veterans' hospitals, of course, were still open, but the Veterans Benefits Administration, for the most part, uh, would cease to function.
2: And I was thinking also about the Department of Agriculture, for example, with all the um, meat inspections or restaurants. I don't know whether it's restaurants, but I mean, uh, in terms of health and safety, right? Uh, EPA with a lot of that, too, with mine safety and, and other inspections.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, that, that that comes out of the Department of Labor. Here's the oh. other thing. There's a certain amount of discretion on the part of the uh, heads of agencies to dis- to designate uh, jobs accepted or not accepted, and the law tells them that they're supposed to uh, accept any kind of job that has to do with the protection of human life or property, and you know you can look at that in a broad way, you can look at that in a narrow way. Um, I think there's there was some evidence that the Trump administration looked at that in a political way, and uh-huh. I'll just leave it at that.
2: Okay, in terms of who was allowed to stay on and who wasn't, right? That's correct. Okay. Certainly, TSA was not touched, that's, right?
1: That's right correct
2: border guards were not touched.
1: border patrol agents any anybody who's involved in in law enforcement as we um, as we conceive of it uh, still had to go to work even without any kind of uh, assurance that they'd be paid a, a payday or you know it ultimately they knew they'd be paid but uh, Congress could have uh, you know dragged its feet as long as it wanted to in terms of uh, uh Appropriating money to pay for people who had to go to work during well, the shutdown. Well,
2: just for the record, uh, d- d- both Mitch, both Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump said that um, by by with any shutdown, uh, this was hurting the military. Um, basically, it was the d- d- Democrats were saying, "We want, we'll go for the Dreamers over the military." Um, what's the truth of that? That their military that our Pentagon or military spending was in jeopardy because of the shutdown.
1: Well, that's, of course, ridiculous the way they cast it. But um, there's a tremendous uh, function uh, of support for the military performed by civilians. Um, everything from logistics to uh, a lot of the um, sort of recreational uh, work that goes on on a military base, the grocery stores, the, you know, bowling alley, the restaurants. Um, there are there are things on a military base that serve the military families, uh, schools uh, for their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, we represent a lot of people at um, military depots and arsenals, and they do massive overhaul, say, of, you know, military uh, aircraft. Uh, they paint them. They rebuild them. They work on the electronics. They, uh, uh, you know, they've. Uh, it's all over my head, actually, what right. they really do. But I've been there and I've seen it. <laughs> it's very <laughs> impressive work. Um, and you know, that kind of thing comes to a halt. And so, uh, you know, it'd be it, it. Any kind of lengthy shutdown would would certainly cause right. a lot of. Uh, backlog in those kind of repairs. Okay,
2: so that's that's sort of the public service side and, and how the, the, the functions of these agencies are impacted by any kind of a shutdown. What about the workers themselves and their families? I mean, uh, that's a lot of hardship for them, particularly... The longer the shutdown lasts, right they're not getting their paychecks, and
1: they're not getting their paychecks and Just to get back to the question of um you know national security and the impact um in the worst case scenario when when somebody with a security clearance and who whose job requires a security clearance falls behind on their uh, bills, they fall behind on their rent, their credit card payments, their car payments. Uh, you know, their their kid loses their slot at daycare. Any of those kind of things can jeopardize a federal employee's uh, security clearance. Mm. Once you're in debt and once you're behind, you're you're viewed as a security risk because somebody could blackmail you because you're in need of money. So. Uh, there's that that's sort of an extreme example of hardship, but there are all kinds of hardships I mean we you know what people there's a lot of um, misinformation out there that federal employees are a bunch of fat bureaucrats who earn six figure salaries uh not quite um, you <laughs> yeah, know hardly uh, hardly uh, we've calculated that our median uh, member of our union takes home about five hundred dollars a week that's after Taxes, health insurance, their contribution to their retirement benefits—that's um, not a lot of money to live anywhere in this country. And that's people live paycheck to paycheck. They don't have any kind of big cushion to um, help them make it through missing even one paycheck, let alone two or three. So there's very dire stakes for our membership when the government shuts down and, and people are expected to go without a paycheck.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, people. I think some. Maybe people here on Capitol Hill don't appreciate the fact that there are millions and millions of Americans who do live paycheck to paycheck. And as you say, don't have a cushion, right? It's, it's Absol- not saying.
1: Absolutely. The vast oh, well, majority, as a I know, matter of fact.
2: Yeah. I'm, I know I'm going to get paid, so it doesn't matter to me. You know, I'll get my pay, and, and in a month, I'll get, you know, this big check, right? In the meantime,
1: In the meantime, they can't pay their bill, and they've got a landlord who's not receiving rent, and they've got, you know, the grocery store that's not having people, you know, buy the normal amount of groceries, and so on and so on and so on. It it has a terrible ripple effect. It affects kids. It affects communities. It affects families. It's it's a terrible thing.
2: All right. So um, whatever the nature of this deal and what Democrats or did not get out of the deal, um, you you, the AFGE, happy to see what happened yesterday, happy to see the end of this shutdown?
1: We were happy to see the end of the shutdown. Our members can't afford a shutdown. Um, you know, they know that they're pawns in this um, and that this is not about uh, federal employees and whether federal employees should be allowed to go to work, although there are certainly many, many members of Congress who would be delighted to have yeah, several right. federal agencies mm-hmm. cease to function. Um, but, yes, people very much wanted to go back to work. They care about the work they do. They need their paychecks, and they were everybody was happy that right. it was over. All
2: right. So now you didn't get that big of a window. Right, you know, February 8th is coming right up. That's right. So what is your message to members of Congress going forward? Uh, is it um, give us another CR no. <laughs>
1: uh, we do not want another CR we want full year funding um, we want uh, to scrap the spending caps for both DoD and the non DoD agencies and Um, And more important than anything else, and if if the last decade has been a horrendous record of using federal employees as a pay-for for for any kind of reallocation of government spending. So federal employees have suffered uh, $246 billion worth of cuts to their compensation over the last uh, almost eight years, um, mostly in the form of cuts to retirement benefits but also pay freezes and, and minuscule pay adjustments that that hardly register. Um, the uh, CBO calculates that number at $246 billion over, over 10 years. Um, and those have all been cases where federal employees' benefits were used to finance something that closed a budget deal. Uh, one time it was long-term unemployment insurance. Um, that was a temporary cost, but we got a permanent cut to our, our federal retirement benefits. Um, we really, really, really are urging co- members of Congress not to allow that to occur again.
2: Right. So a, uh, 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 what do you call it, an omnibus budget bill? Is that
1: Sometimes, m- yes.
2: But at least... When they
1: throw it all in, yeah.
2: Yeah, do a budget for a year, right?
1: That doesn't use federal employees as a pay-for.
2: Right. Um, The uh, f- federal em- employees... Uh, have really been sort of um, almost the, the kicking point or something, you know, for, for so many politicians, uh, not appreciating the, the work that you do and, the, and the, the, the level to which Americans depend on the service of these agencies. You meant the Veterans Agency, for example, or any of them, EPA, well, Agriculture, Labor across the board. What, what can you do about that?
1: Well, um, that's always the $64,000 question, I'm trying to make people appreciate uh, the work that federal employees do. You know, the Department of Veterans Affairs, um, every independent study of, of VA healthcare care uh, demonstrates Conclusively, that it's higher quality than the average in the private sector, uh, better than the best in the private sector, and it's delivered at a much much lower cost, and it's veterans' first choice. But the Koch brothers and their you know pseudo uh, veteran service organization called the Concerned Veterans of America, they've put in millions and millions of dollars in this uh, campaign to privatize the VA constantly. Uh, uh, putting out information to try to convey the sense that that the veterans' healthcare system is scandal-ridden, broken is the word they use, um, and can't be fixed. Don't put, don't place good money after bad and just privatize the whole thing. Give veterans a, uh, a voucher, let them go buy mm-hmm. whatever they want in the private sector. Um, so we're constantly uh, facing an uphill battle trying to compete with this extremely well-funded uh, negative disinformation campaign from the Koch brothers trying to say that the Department of Veterans Affairs and Veterans healthcare is a disaster when it's the exact opposite.
2: How is the, uh, what do you, how, uh, we've, we've had a year now, right? So uh, how would you rate the Trump administration uh, in terms of friend or foe of federal employees
1: um,
2: across the board?
1: Well, I, I don't think you can really say across the board. They've they've been friendly to some agencies and um, very unfriendly to others, Uh I think that the worst thing we can say, since at least this year we didn't have a pay freeze, although they're threatening it for next year, um, the the worst thing that's happened from the administration itself is an attempt to politicize federal employment. We have an apolitical professional civil service. Um, we have protections in law to make sure that people are hired and fired on the basis of merit and only merit, not political affiliation. So,
2: Yet- so. Uh, rain or snow or whatever, Republican or Democrat, whoever's in charge of the White House or in charge of the government, the federal employees working for these agencies continue to do their job in that, season, out of season.
1: That's the idea. And you only get hired and you only get fired on the basis of whether you have the skills for the job and you're doing the job well. Um, we've seen in the Department of Energy, in the Department of State, in the Department of uh, in, in, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency, and, and others attempts to politicize, uh, target people for uh, any effort of that, a- any kind of indication that there's something other than 100% behind the Trump agenda. Mm-hmm. That's very troubling.
2: Right, because there are the political employees and everybody knows that almost in every agency there's a certain number of employees who are political, who come and go depending on who's in the White House or who, who's in charge. Right. But the bulk of federal employees are just there to do their job, no matter.
1: Exactly. And politics should play no role whatsoever ever, in their hiring or their firing or the assessment of the quality of their work.
2: Well, you got your work cut out for you, that's for sure. We do. Um, <laughs> Jackie Simon, it's the dot AFGE.org under our great friend, uh, President J. David Cox. Uh, so let's hope that uh, February 8th, by February 8th, that may be asking a lot, uh, that Congress will take the long view rather than the short view. Uh, and come up with a plan that all of us uh, could could live with, and will keep the federal agencies running with the knowledge that they're going to be there uh, a year from now, and and not have to fight this uh, fight the same battle every 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 three weeks. Thanks so much for coming in, Jackie. Thank you. We're going to uh, jump now to our good friends, the Young Turks. Uh, Anna Kasparian, host and producer of the Young Turks. You see her all the time on the air with the uh, Jenk. Uh, joining us here in studio, coming up next. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it? Yep, the uh, Trump shutdown replaced by the Schumer sellout. That's uh, what happened yesterday with the Democrats caving and agreeing uh, to uh, keep the government running in return for a promise. A promise by Mitch McConnell that he will hold a vote on immigration sometime before between now and and um, February 8th. Hello, everybody. It's the Bill Press Show, live from our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the good men and women of the AFT, Teachers of America, under President Randy Weingarten, making a difference in our classrooms every single day during the Lord's work, as we say. uh, We salute them, thank them for the support of the program, and welcome... We are all part of the Young Turks Network, proud to be so, and so happy to join, to see here in studio with us, joining us today um, um, from the home ship, the mothership in Los Angeles. You see her on the air all the time with Cenk Yuger, Anna Kasparian, host and producer of the Young Turks. Anna, welcome.
0: Thank you for having me. Great
2: to see you here in Washington, D.C., You know, things are so screwed up you came back to straighten it out. Is that it?
0: Well, I mean, I wish I had the power to straighten it out, but I don't. Um,
2: Where do you start, right? There's just so
0: much going on. Uh, We can start by, uh, you know, primarying some of these uh, centrist Democrats, (laughs) primarily Uh those in the the Senate right now that uh, conceded and caved in in this debate over uh, funding.
2: Why, why? I mean, mm-hmm. they really think that, uh, that this is going to be what decides whether or not they get reelected in November?
0: I think that it's a miscalculation, and this type of miscalculation was very apparent back in 2014 when you had uh, a number of incumbent Democrats in Congress running these you know, conservative light campaigns. And I don't know why they thought it was a good idea. If people want the conservative ideology, they're going to go ahead and vote for the actual conservative running against you. And so I don't know what it is about Democrats that makes them want to move to the right and, and concede to every political issue. They need to be, fi- we need fighters. And uh, I, you know, I was about to say they need to be fighters, but I think they've proven time and time again that they're unwilling to do that.
2: Right. Um, I, I, I... At the uh, over the weekend, I was talking to a good friend of mine. In fact, we were both at CNN together, about to go on the air. Uh, and she said to me, "I'm so proud of our Democrats standing strong, you know." And I said, "Man, right? It's about time they showed some backbone." Boy, that didn't last long. <laughs>
0: it, it didn't. I mean, <laughs> the
2: the, the, the <laughs> shutdown hardly got started right before they caved. And, was what, a, and what did they? What did they get for it?
0: Uh, they got essentially nothing. Now, you know, Dick Durbin was uh, giving some interviews today and he was saying that, no, no, this is great because now we're doing what Congress hasn't done in such a long time. We're getting together. We're negotiating. This is the way it's supposed to work. And, you know, I like that spin, but I'm not buying it. You know, it's it's a it's a funny and and interesting attempt at, at spinning this to the Democrats favor. But Mitch McConnell promised, but Mitch McConnell and Republicans in Congress are not the Lannisters. The Lannisters always pay their debts. They might be as evil as the Lannisters, but there's no there's necessarily there's no necessary um, follow through. That that the Republicans can really offer a, a verbal promise is not good enough. And then even if Mitch McConnell does play ball and, and follow through with his side of the promise, well, what happens in the House where you have many more hardliners on the right who want absolutely no amnesty and they don't want protection for the but, dreamers?
2: But also, if Mitch McConnell's promise, such as it is, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I don't think any promise by Mitch McConnell is. It's like a promise from by a snake. You yeah, know? Really. Uh, yeah. But. His promise was only, I have the intention of holding a vote. It's not even a promise when you re- when you realize to hold a vote, and it's certainly not a promise to support the Dreamers program or right. any legislation. No, right. it's a it's a total con con. I don't understand Chuck Schumer falling for it.
0: It's really it's devastating. Total nothing burger. It's because Democrats cannot handle the heat, and one thing that Republicans have always been great at is playing hardball and spinning stories and framing the news in a way that meets their narrative and their agenda. Democrats aren't as good at messaging. So as soon as they got a little criticism from Republicans, you see them in the media talking about how this government shutdown is the Democrats' fault. I mean, that's all it took for the Democrats to cave. But if you look at polling, and you look at what the American people think, the American people were blaming Republicans in Congress, not Democrats in Congress. So you're not catching heat for the government shutdown. Why are you conceding so easily to what the Republicans demand uh, without any real solid promises? In fact,
2: Politico reports this morning that the American people were blaming Trump and Republicans, 49 percent, compared to those that blame Democrats, 35 Mm percent. So we were winning the public relations battle, if you will, but Democrats still caved.
3: By the way, we got a lot of comments so far uh, on yeah, Twitter at uh, BP Show about, oh, but we got Chip. Oh, Chip got that. That's no, the, no, big, no, no, that's no. the I... big win for Democrats. And it's kind of like, that's something that's supposed to have happened already. That's something that should have never elapsed and should never expire. So if that's a big win, boy, you're really looking for For the
2: last four years, Republicans have opposed yeah. Chip. They wanted to kill. They did. They killed the program. They cut the funding for CHIP. They only put it in here because they wanted to play the CHIP kids against the Dreamer kids. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I I, I have to jump in on that. So- Look, I, I I hear what you know the the listeners are saying. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the listeners are saying, and and yes, you know, making sure that we have funding for CHIP is incredibly important. But understand that you know when you look at public polling, the majority of Americans, including a, a slight majority of Trump's base, are incredibly supportive of protections for these dreamers, and they're also incredibly supportive of funding CHIP. So it's all about messaging. It's all about how you can use various platforms to pressure the republicans to do what you want because democrats had all the leverage here they had the public behind them on both of those issues and they weren't going to get blamed for the government shutdown use your leverage be a fighter and they didn't do that
2: they'll never have more leverage than they had right now
0: exactly exactly and they totally caved
2: right i don't get it Um, and now the idea that between now and February 8th, everybody's going to get together and they're going to come up with some comprehensive bill that everybody's going to – and this is going to fly through. As you point out, the Freedom Caucus won't allow this to happen in the House. Right. And there's no way that they will put a clean dreamers bill, which they should, both in the House and the Senate, and just get that done, right, and then deal with all the other issues. where there could There are some legitimate differences on – And uh, no way that's going to happen between now and February. And in the meantime, Donald Trump, we still have not a clue of where he really stands on anything or understands.
0: Well, I think that oftentimes uh, we overestimate him in thinking that he has a political ideology or even a strategy. He is, you know, I, I said this on the show, he's like... A willow branch during a hurricane. He's all over the place. And so anyone in Congress who takes what Donald Trump ever says on any policy issue seriously is making a grave mistake. And and Democrats in Congress have made that mistake where, you know, Trump will approach them with this needs to be a bill of love. And they're all happy and they leave that meeting with big <laughs> smiles on their yeah, faces. Right. But, you know, it's it's almost as if we haven't already had a year long case study on how unreliable this president is.
2: Uh, we, we talked a little bit uh, off the air before uh, before we uh, start hooked in here. About the briefing yesterday mm-hmm. with uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, taking credit, Donald Trump takes credit for the big for the big uh, win. And then yesterday, but yesterday morning she was on GMA with George Stephanopoulos. You probably heard this, where she has the audacity. She's speaking for Donald Trump, whom, as you just pointed out, doesn't have a clue about any issue, right? Uh, and suggesting that maybe Chuck Schumer just didn't understand the legislation. Here's this exchange with George Stephanopoulos.
5: I know that sometimes uh, members like Senator Schumer need a little help and guidance getting through uh, big big policy negotiations like that, but the president's laid out what he wants and if they need help understanding it, uh, we'd be happy to send some people over there to explain it to Do him. Do you
4: really want to be questioning Senator Schumer's knowledge of this legislation?
5: <laughs> Look, if he's unclear about what the president uh, has laid out, then then possibly I think, frankly uh, and sadly, that Senator Schumer is playing games. <laughs> wow!
2: Yeah. Wow! Right? But I this... mean, the one thing Schumer, you, you and I both agree, yeah. caved in here, shouldn't have done it. But he is a policy nerd. I mean, he really does know this legislation. Right. As I said earlier, he could probably recite the Dreamers bill by heart. Donald Trump has never read it and doesn't understand it, and I'm sure doesn't know anything about the whole issue.
0: Well, Sanders' way of handling that interview with is is just another example of Republican messaging that actually works. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're good at it. They're very good at it. It may not work with the people who are really paying attention and know what's really going on, but it certainly works with uh, Trump's base and some percentage of of those who might not consider themselves Trump's base, but they're, you know, to the right of me, certainly. So uh, they're good at messaging and they will hammer Any type of talking point, uh, they'll go on every media organization. They will say whatever it takes to make it seem as though Trump is this incredibly intelligent, brilliant man who has like this crazy secret strategy. And someone like Schumer has no idea what he's doing.
2: In fact, they will even come out and call Trump a stable genius, (laughs) uh, a very stable genius, actually. (laughs) Right. Uh, So all this bad news over the weekend, there was some good news uh, when you looked at when I saw the crowds in. Los Angeles and Washington and Chicago. I mean, there's a lot of energy out there, isn't there?
0: There is. Uh, The one silver lining in this Trump era is the fact that it really shook Americans out of their complacency. Just this realization that sitting back and coasting isn't good enough in a democracy. You really need to be engaged because the second you're not engaged— The rich and the powerful are going to take advantage of you. And so, little by little, we're seeing some of our uh, freedoms get. Uh, violated, taken away, and it's a scary time. I really feel like it's a scary time to live in. One topic that rarely gets talked about in the media is what's happening environmentally. What oh, the Trump oh, administration yeah. oh. is doing in in gutting
2: everything that all the progress that we had made, particularly on climate change, total gutting it. It's yep.
0: it's terrifying. And you know, this morning news broke about how he is imposing these gigantic tariffs on. Um, Uh, products that are made in uh, China and other countries. Including
2: solar panels.
0: Including solar panels. So, of course, there's a a very political right-wing agenda at play. But what I'm also incredibly concerned about is the price of products that Americans need and buy on a daily basis is going to go up considerably. And, you know, we'll we'll see how it'll play out. But he thinks that's going to create jobs here and create more manufacturing here in the United States.
3: That story is sort of like emblematic of so many stories which would be a gigantic story right under any other president in any other time and realistically it's probably like the fourth biggest story
2: yeah you know right. what I mean like and it's a big it, big it,
3: deal but it, it's there's not so much get, stuff
2: it's not going to get any attention at all sadly because it is all part of his fossil fuel mm-hmm. return to a fossil to a total fossil fuel economic or uh, energy plan right Accompanied by saying we're going to open up the West Coast and the East Coast, all, all the entire yeah. coastline of the United States to offshore drilling. Right again, he's he's put us he's put us in reverse on every, at every level, but this is a, a direct blow at the, the efforts to move towards solar, which is really taking off in this country. Jo- lots of jobs, people are doing it. Cities, counties are doing it, putting in solar fields, and Donald Trump is just trying to undercut the whole thing.
0: Right. In California, um, the renewable energy industry is really exploding right now. And it's it's helping uh, California's economy tremendously. And, you know, I, well, I, I mean, Trump has no love for California or these blue states, which I think was rather apparent in the way that they wrote this tax bill. Um, which is now, of course, a tax law, but, you know, state and local taxes. Who gets to deduct state and local taxes when they file for taxes at the beginning of every year? It's those living in blue states. And so it's I feel like he has weaponized legislation uh, to some extent. And it's scary to know that any state who didn't support him will be punished in some way.
2: Uh, I I was just uh, looking. There's a reason he doesn't. uh, Donald Trump doesn't like California. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is from The New York Times on Saturday. I hadn't seen this number before. Uh, In uh, 2016, Donald Trump got of the vote in California, 31.5 percent in California, which is less than Herbert Hoover got. (laughs) When he ran against Franklin Roosevelt. Wow. <laughs> During the Great Depression. Wow. Hoover got more votes than Donald Trump did. That is in 2016. amazing. That is amazing. So, uh, yeah, damn right we don't like him in California. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for good reason. Of course the other thing about California, you've got Jerry Brown, who's the king of climate change, mm-hmm. and really the world leader in climate change now. Uh, now that Barack Obama's off the scene and you know, and we've got uh, we've got Donald Trump. But but back to this energy that we've seen from um from these, the women's marches over the weekend. And now we see so many women running for for office, for, yeah, for Congress, but also for state legislature, for school boards, for city councils. It's really exciting.
0: It is exciting. And I, I love that women feel empowered and they feel strong and they want to have a political voice. I think it's, you know, due. It's certainly due because there is a lack of female representation in in Congress and state politics, local politics. So I love seeing this energy. I love that people are no longer complicit and that they're engaged. They're paying very close attention. I have people on my my Facebook feed, my friends list, who were never politically inclined, never paid attention, never cared. And all of a sudden, everyone's got an aggressive and strong political opinion. Um, That's and, been and my favorite that.
3: part. That's been my favorite part of <laughs> finding out just where people stand. Right. You know, like there have been people that I would have never, ever, ever in a million years would be political about anything. And all of a sudden they're posing things like seize the means of production. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. All right. But also saying, hey, you know what?
2: I could do that. Right.
3: Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I could do that. I'm
2: I could be on the school board. I could be on the city council. And why not? And they're yeah. coming out young and old and the people some never run for office, but so some never involved in politics, or some always at a volunteer level, and they're saying, hey, what the hell? I just saw this number earlier, 390 women running for House of Representatives wow. this year. Wow, wow. You know, there are only 435 <laughs> in the Congress, and 49 women running for Senate.
0: I love that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's great. But I mean, you know- my
2: feeling is we we men, we've screwed it up long enough, right? Women can do a better job on it. I
0: just, you know, I I, I love I love that we're, you know, having more women enter, you know, the the political world and and share their perspective of, you know, how we can make the country better. That's great. Um, But I've I've also noticed something else. And I'm curious if you guys have also realized this or seen it. But I think that now that people want to be more politically involved, um, if they weren't paying attention to politics before they're much more susceptible to propaganda and so what i'm seeing is a lot of opinion on social media that isn't backed up by fact it'll be backed up by you know fake stories or uh Mm -hmm. right-wing media whatever it is and it's it's and the people who fall for it aren't bad people. It's just that they don't know. They don't know. They don't. Media literacy is not something that's taught here. Uh, it's not even anything that was ever really talked about until fairly recently. And so it, it's really shown me the reach of propaganda in the country and how incredibly effective it is.
1: Uh, and yeah. so that's
0: something that I really wish that we can find a way to combat. And it goes beyond fake news on Facebook.
2: Right. You know, the Russians certainly discovered that. Look at all those ads that they right. put up. You know, during the last during the last campaign, exactly, right? and they recognize that you're right. Too many people today uh, they see something on Facebook, or they see something on some of the, in the social media, and it's there they believe it, right? Yeah. And yeah. there's no attempt to dig and see what really is the truth. That's very scary, and it's, it's yeah. something I think all of us should be cons- should be concerned about. Now, I have to ask you: you are in town for a very important event tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, with our good friend, Senator Bernie Sanders. Tell us about it. What's going on?
0: So Bernie Sanders uh, has been pushing for Medicare for All. That's one of his yes. uh, primary policies, yes. which I absolutely love. And he really wanted to host a town hall that would allow experts in the field—we're talking about medical professionals, people who understand uh, economics—to chime in on this and and really hash out the details of this policy. He went to mainstream media outlets, and they all turned him away, and he had this really great idea of reaching out to independent media, um, including the Young Turks. Uh, To host this town hall and we love the idea and we wanted to certainly be part of it and so it's going to take place today. Uh, It's going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern Time Um, and... I'm super excited. I'm going to be hosting it. Bernie Mm -hmm. Sanders will be in every one, every panel. There are going to be three separate panels. And we're going to take uh, questions from the audience, questions from um, independent media audiences as well, prepared video questions. It's going to be fantastic. And I love that it's a policy-based town hall no bs no ridiculous questions about what kind of tropical drink he likes to have when he's on vacation we're talking about an issue that matters to so many americans
2: and this is at the capital visitor center here in washington and imagine people can stream it online uh through the young turks
0: yes yes so uh you can actually uh check it out on our facebook page we'll be streaming it live there uh facebook.com slash the young turks
2: okay uh, no, this is such an important I think this is a signature issue. It certainly was Bernie's signature issue in the 2016 campaign. And um, and people loved it. I mean, yeah. the audience, it was, this was his number one applause line, right? Medicare for all. It's To me, it is so... I, don't, I find it hard to make an argument against it. But it's so yeah. simple. It's so direct when you say Medicare for all as opposed to even single payer, which... Maybe it's, the same thing, but Medicare for All says it. Right.
0: Right. And I think and, that he made a, a great political calculation there in in understanding how popular Medicare is, how much people love Medicare. Yeah. Using that and it word works. It works, exactly. Um so I, I think that he's he understands the American people so much better than any other politician that I've ever communicated with, to be honest. And what I also really appreciate about him is what you see on camera is what you get off camera. He is so incredibly genuine and sincere in everything he says. There's never an act. There's never any fakeness. He cares about this issue so deeply, and I have tremendous respect for him as a result of that. By the
3: way, to get back to an earlier point, right, like there's no wishy-washy nonsense there. Medicare for all, boom. Yeah. There's no No, compromising. There's no, like, I'd like to see Chuck Schumer just say, amnesty for all, boom, right? And, like, just see, see what the base does with that right? Like Medicare for all is very clear message. There's no sort of ceding ground. There's no giving into these concessions to Republicans. It's just, I will accept this and nothing less.
2: But I, I, what I find is, is so heartening is in effect, Bernie has won this argument, I believe. Now, not all, there's still a lot of um, cowardly Democrats I think who are afraid to get on board. Maybe mm-hmm. some of them have legitimate sincere reasons why they don't quite see it, but, but you know, if you look at the other potential contenders for 2020, uh, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, they're all saying now that they're for Medicare for all, right? Yeah. I think, again, it is going to be the deciding, defining issue in 2020 and and this year, too, in 2018, but especially uh, in 2020. And it really annoyed me and pissed me off. Hillary's attacks on Bernie over this issue in 2016 saying, we can't afford that. We could never afford that. It will never work. I mean, when in fact, again, Medicare, we have a proven history of. Right. And other countries that have a similar system and it does work and it does serve the people and it's more cost effective.
0: Right. I mean, Hillary, talk about political miscalculations. She attacked Bernie on all the wrong things. And so, I mean, she paid the price for that. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, I wonder if there was a, a part of her that maybe felt a little envious seeing how popular that messaging was from Bernie and how he could potentially succeed in that type of policy, uh, whereas, you know, she pushed for, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, universal health care back in the 90s and failed. So mm-hmm. there was probably a little bit of envy there, but that's just my speculation.
2: But it's also the myth and one uh, point that she and others still use today. I'm not sure she's making that argument, but others do that. Well, you just can't uh, overnight, you just can't go from where we are today to this. Well, Bernie has never said you do it, overnight. Right. He said, that's our aspirational goal. And I think we need big goals as absolutely, a people, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you don't think big, who are you, right? Yeah. And so, you take it, maybe you expand Medicare down to 55 or to 45, you know, and you go a little bit at a time. That's and what then, his
0: proposal is. Exactly. And it's so exactly. smart. It's so smart. I love it. Um Just lower the uh Medicare yeah. age until you eventually get to a point where it covers everyone. Right. And, you know, uh, I, I We'll hash this out during the town hall. But, you know, one of the questions that a lot of people have is, well, is private insurance still an option? You know, could it be supplemental? And I I don't know what his proposal is regarding that particular part of it. So uh, we will hash that out during the town hall today. But I love that we're having the conversation. And by the way, just really quickly going back to— I think he
2: says yes to that, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. I want to hear his answer, too. Exactly.
0: And then um, just really quickly going back to Hillary's attacks on Bernie. The thing that really got under my skin in regard to the health care debates was when she made it seem as though he wanted to get elected and immediately do away with the Affordable Care Act. He never said that. And it was just complete lies coming from her that that further d- divided the Democratic Party. That's why you had Democrats who refused to vote for her, essentially paving the way for Trump and, and you know, no. I, I ended up voting for her uh, because I felt like it was the right thing to do. I really didn't want to get him elected, but at the, at the same time, those who didn't want to vote for her i don't I don't begrudge them. Yeah. I understand why But
2: you know I, I'm in the same place as you, but now that's done, that's passed. Yeah. Now we're into a new age and uh and we really have a chance to do something about this. and Bernie is definitely uh, he he didn't what I love is he didn't just walk away from this fight right. He's continued to build a movement. Our revolution is out there doing great things. Bernie is all over the country and now and leading on helping progressives get elected and helping on issues like this Uh, with the help of the great Young Turks Network. It's so good to see you. So good to see you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. Anytime you're in Washington, come by. Uh, And, you know, uh, I always say I'm the youngest of the young Turks. (laughs) (laughs) So proud to be part of the network. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, the rest of the day is all yours, friends. Make the most of it this Tuesday, January 23rd. And then uh, come on back and see us again tomorrow because, you know, this is the Bill Press Show.